I'm so excited to introduce to all of you, Nikki O'Donnell, who is a child and adolescent psychologist, and she is able to speak with all of you today, thanks to the generosity of the Greater West Bloomfield Community Coalition, which partners with us a lot throughout the school year to bring programs such as this. I hope you find it useful. I hope you walk away feeling better equipped to navigate your children's emotions with them and improve their resiliency. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to the expert who I have to just give a little bit of my hats off to. She also just recently started a business for oh. <laughs> mental health. So you should check out viewspire.com. She is trying to take the message of mental health even further. And I would love for all of us to support her in that venture. At the end of tonight's program, we are going to raffle off a coping toolbox to one lucky viewer of today's program. So with that, Nikki, I turn it over to you. Thank, thank you, Kim. I just love um, the, the Hello community and um, the opportunities I've gotten to work with families and to bring Worry Warriors um, to you folks. So I'm thrilled today to do that once again. I feel like this is probably um, the, the biggest concern and topic that in clinic uh, through the week that I'm sort of talking with kiddos and teens and families, um, anxiety, stress, just all of it. <laughs> so um, if anybody had attended any of the other Worry Warrior series um, talks that we'd done, we did one in person <laughs> before all the things, um, which is really fun, but I really love that we've been able to adapt it. If you've seen those before, welcome back. And I'm so glad to have you. If you have not, then hopefully what I can do tonight, I'll, I'll kind of, this is sort of going to be a continuation of all the Worry Warrior series. But if you've not attended any other ones, that's completely fine. This actually would be, I think, one of the best ones to start with in a way, just because we're going to kind of go through some of the stuff we've talked about before. But now we're going to do it within the can the context of, of a global pandemic and virtual school and all of those things. Um, kind of what we see, what we've been seeing, uh, what I've been seeing with kids, what, are, what interventions are we using, what, what do we need to sort of understand as parents, and then kind of work our way through a little bit more to, you know, in the previous sessions we did, we talked lots about sort of um, how anxiety works in the body with kids. And then also what are the, the, the basic rescue strategies that we might use with our kids? Now we're going to go over those things. But in addition to that, I think one really important thing that we'll do different tonight is we're going to talk about parental influence on children's anxiety and how that can sort of play in and what we know about that and how that's playing out now. <laughs> um, as a parent myself, I have a three-year-old daughter and then my son is eight. So I, those poor children, I use lots of examples <laughs> of them when I talk. You know, if you're raising a really strong young lady, if they're just like real sassy when they're young, I just keep telling myself that. <laughs> yes. I'm sure lots of moms and daughters can relate. <laughs> um, anyways, we're going to kind of go through, like I said, a little bit by bit towards the end. I love probably my favorite part of the talk is when we get to go into questions. Um, as we go along, if there are things that you guys think of, or you're like, Oh, I don't want to forget that. Feel free to put it in the chat. We'll get to those. Also, I want to make this as personal to you guys as possible. Like I said, I could, I'm sort of 
grabbing from everything that goes on during my week and, you know, like the things that I think would be most helpful, kind of like a buffet, I'm picking and choosing the things that I'm presenting to you guys. But if there are certain things that you're like, oh, I wish you would have talked a little bit more about that, just sort of make a mental note or jot that down because we'll use that and, and kind of, you know, continue the conversation when we get towards the end. So without any further ado, let's kind of get into it. Um, the thing that I think is really important to start with, we kind of understand get a kind of a basic lay, lay of the land as far as how is anxiety affecting kids? What does that look like? Why? <laughs> um, at the end of the day, anxiety is normal, totally normal. You know, if we look at the wiring of the brain, anxiety is the mechanism that keeps us safe. If you are running across a four lane highway, I hope you've got some anxiety about it because it'll keep you safe, right? Like it is a protective mechanism. It's that thing inside that if something doesn't feel right, you know, sometimes there's this little thing that happens, right? And it just, we it, we know it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel safe, right? It's our, our risk assessment, our internal risk assessment. So we're trying to make heads or tails of, is this uh, a worthwhile risk or not so much? And our anxiety will usually tell us. So great, wonderful. The problem though, that we sometimes run into, particularly with young kids, is, is that the world looks very different to children than it does to adults, right? This is why, I mean, literally we're talking about different brains, right? A child's brain in developmentally, all of those things is very different in how it processes information than a full-grown adult's brain. It's why we can, as adults, sort of think back to times when we were younger and think like, why did I do that? What was I thinking? You literally had a different brain, so you're off the hook. Right. Um, but really, I mean, I think that's a good thing to understand the way that I like to describe it. Um, if you if you think about kids that are around like 10 ish, right, or getting close to that. But even think about them younger, the, the part of the brain that develops first and quickest is the emotional part of the brain. So we have little 10 year olds running around with the emotional center of a brain. that's pretty much almost a full grown adult teenagers, full grown adults at that point. The problem is that the mechanism that, that controls and monitors that part, not full grown adults. <laughs> so you've got big emotional center, very little regulatory system happening, which is why it, you know, I, I, I see this all the time. It's sort of like day to day for me, but particularly with teenagers, sometimes we look at behaviors and things and we go, they, you know, even my eight year old, I'll think, I don't. I can see here that there's a discrepancy between the logic and the, and the emotions, you know, um, seeing an ant for instance, this was like our whole week earlier this week. Um, he airs on the side of the anxiety. He comes by it, honestly, this poor child, but, uh, seeing an ant one, only one. That's all it took now entering the room where said ant was had become a problem. <laughs> like an over, it was as if, I don't know there that the ant was like the size of him. I'm not sure. But in his mind, this was this was a a risk and something that was uh, a risk not worth taking because it was it was scary. So again, very big emotions, very little regulatory center. So knowing that kind of I think helps us put some like understanding on why kids kind of freak out sometimes <laughs> about things that were like this is not a big deal. Why is this a problem? You know, red cup or green cup? Like I gave them the wrong color cup and then they lose their mind like that's a very common experience I feel like for most of us or they wanted the crust on last time but they didn't this time and we just couldn't figure it out whatever it is again we get all these reactions so anxiety the way that that plays a role 
when we have an issue where a stressor, something or either an actual stressor, like a pandemic, or a perceived stressor, like a teeny tiny ant, um, where it triggers the system that says, alert, 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 this is the problem. You need to like, you know, fight or flight out of here. Got to figure something out. It's, it's when that system, when all that stress hormone and cortisol gets very, very high and the body can't metabolize it out quick enough, that's what we see as anxiety. If it gets bad enough, that's what we see as a panic attack, right? Panic attacks really just the body's reset button. Because it, if you've ever had one afterwards, you sort of feel like you're exhausted, drained, and like hit by a bus because the body literally resets itself, gets all that cortisol out of there. A lot to happen in the body. And then to, so it, you know, for them to calm down in a, in a realistic amount of time, not very realistic, um, which is why that happens too. Uh, some kids have no issue when it comes to anxiety. Some kids do. There's a lot of factors in there. Sometimes it's biologic, be generational trauma related, can be, you know, like some of it can be learned behavior. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, Regardless of the reason, we can see what's happening. The alarm system is going off at points in times that it's, it's, you know, it's a little too sensitive. It's like the fire alarm going off when there's no fire, we're just cooking, right? So for young children, it's not always kind of come out in a way that's like, I'm really worried. I'm really scared. Oftentimes that's, that's kind of the more rare way that it'll come out. But you know, like the logical way, like when we're anxious or worried, we can sort of identify it. Uh, For young children, it doesn't look like that. Usually it'll come out a different way. Like you'll get a really irritable kiddo or you'll get um, a really tearful kiddo or maybe really sad kid. Or um, again, like angry or just like, you know, lashing out tantrums. So anxiety can look different, you know, for any kind of a kiddo, but kind of keep that in mind that it's not always going to look like, you know, a kid being able to verbalize what it is that they're thinking or feeling. That's like kind of the, that doesn't come, unfortunately, until you're kind of into your twenties where you can really, you know, seal the deal with the emotional part of the brain and the logic part. Um, So it makes it hard for us as parents to sort of decode sometimes. That can cause issues. It can particularly cause problems and issues when um, we also have things going on, right? Like we only have enough time and enough energy in a day. And some days we have more and some days we have less. It can be very difficult as a parent, I think sometimes to manage or deal with. Like, how do we help our child? We see our, our, our kiddo in distress or upset or whatever it is. It's hard. We want to swoop in there, right? And be like, oh my gosh, like, I just want to hurry up and make this better. Um, that's, I think, to, to care and to nurture and to calm and to soothe is a total, you know, that's like a, a parent response. I think that's part of our biology. So because of that, though, sometimes it can get in the way of us providing or really creating a, a scenario for our kids to work through whatever kind of anxiety they might be having, regardless of the reason that it's happening. If it's already happening, that alarm system's already a little too sensitive. You know, that's when we, you know, there's a time to take some appropriate steps to help kind of maybe bulk up some coping coping skills. When we run into situations where a kiddo's either stress or perceived stress is up here and their ability to cope and manage is down here and we get a gap, that's where we get problems, right? That's where we get kids who are avoiding certain things, um, who are throwing tantrums about stuff that they don't want to do. I mean, there's resistance because it's uncomfortable. And so our job as parents, while it's hard and it's heart-wrenching, especially if they get scared and they get sad, you know, and they're just tore up. That's very difficult to see. Um, But when 
when they get like that, when they get to that point and they're very upset, you know, for us, while it would be easy to swoop in, the problem is we, we sort of have to create a situation where they're allowed to experience discomfort so that they will build skills and right, they'll be able to in a safe, right, in a safe way, um, be able to to sort of develop the confidence that they need to work through it. That's very hard to do, to allow our kiddos to be in discomfort or pain. Uh, probably the first thing that I always end up working with families um, on when, I, when we're talking about anxiety is that part of, if you're effectively treating it, it's not gonna get, it's not gonna look better at first. It might actually look a little worse at first. Um, but we kind of have to sometimes, and we'll talk a little bit about this, we have to sort of evaluate for ourselves, how have I been reacting or responding to the anxiety that my kiddo is having? Am I having a response to anxiety that, that perhaps I'm unintentionally sort of modeling? Because that can happen. Um, we'll look at some of those a little closer, but in the context of a pandemic, right? This is not anything in grad school, <laughs> 17 years ago, they did not, we didn't get a section on like, how do you help support families? in a pandemic when you yourself are always also parenting through one. <laughs> they didn't give us any of that. So we are scrambling as a, just as a, a group here um, in the world of psychology to try to figure out what kinds of things, maybe from trauma treatment or, you know, um, stress and anxiety and support, like what things can we grab from all these other toolboxes to help with right now? Because here's what we're seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. And maybe you guys are experiencing this. I'm seeing a lot of kiddos who, and this is like from the young ones to the older ones, um, who even if they didn't have like a huge reaction or a huge change in life because of everything that happened in the past year or so, um, I'm still seeing a lot of kids just sort of, it's, I hate to use the word regressing, but kind of, um, kind of just, you know, developmentally kids in these age ranges are, their brain is wired to be socially connecting. Like that is what their brain is doing. For the teens, they need to be individualizing and like creating their own dependence. For young kids, it's learning those skills and the conflict skills and like being and able to interact and all that good stuff. The brain something, does something different when we see each other on a screen as opposed to when we see each other in person. So they were sort of deprived of that a bit, you know, to be safe. Um, now that we're integrating back here and there, in some ways, whether it's back to school or just, you know, being out, you know, in a safe way with friends or whatever it might be. Um, I see lots of kids who are struggling sort of with that, even though they, they, you know, they were wanting that this was that, you know, great. I didn't like the other thing. This all of a sudden now is hard because kids will adapt. They're very adaptable creatures. They'll adapt to any environment. It's not always the best case scenario all the time. But again, we're, we're sort of having to, like as if you went to the gym, right? Let's say you went to the gym every day for three years, or however long your kids have been to school. And then let's say you took a year off. <laughs> you still kind of know the ins and outs, but like you haven't used those muscles. It's probably going to make you really sore. You might buy, not be totally excited or thrilled. There might be new things that you're encountering that are uncomfortable, especially because school might look a little different, right? Like how we set up our day or like what, what we can and can't do. Um, that kind of adapting, like we're asking kids to adapt a lot, like really quick. So that can be met with lots of resistance and also lots of anxiety. A lot of the anxiety and the way that we're going to talk about it here is anxiety is sort of this experience that we have an overestimation of what 
the stressor is or what the scary thing is, we're overestimating how hard it's going to be to deal with it. And we're underestimating our ability to actually deal with it. Right. And so with anxiety in there playing into all of this, it, it, it doesn't allow us to make a very good judgment call, right? If we're always overestimating how much effort something's going to take or how much a skill it's going to require of us. So as parents, this is where we kind of, this is where we kind of come in. So something that I think has been really helpful to talk about with families is kind of having for ourselves evaluating what angle are we taking to, to help empower our kids? Are we, are we doing things that would be considered more empowering and things to sort of help them build these skills within themselves? Or are we doing more enabling, right? I do, I can buy, I can catch myself doing both. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, yeah, you wanted that one. And other times I'm like, ooh, that one was because that was uncomfortable or whatever it was, or I took the easy way out on that one. We're all totally human. This is not um, a, you know, some people are doing it right and some are doing it wrong. This is human nature. And this is, I think, just something where once we have the insight and we can kind of give ourselves permission to, um, you know, for, for example, if our kids are uncomfortable, like giving ourselves permission in our head, like, Nikki, that lady on the Zoom said that this was okay. <laughs> that I'm, even though this feels wrong, that I'm doing an okay thing. Um, this is going to be a very, really simple or a silly comparison here. But think about like animals in the wild, right? Do you ever feel like animals in the wild? I definitely do <laughs> with my children. Um, but think about it animals in the wild with their young, right? Care for their young, nurture their young. And then at some point, like, pretty early on, the young are able to, they have to learn to defend for themselves or, or it's like done, they're done, right? Like that's it. They have to be able to hunt. They have to be able to fly, like whatever, you know, is required of them. And then they're off, they're off into the world. We keep our young much longer, of course, thank goodness for my benefit. But, um, but at the same time, the thing that I think always has to be in the back of our head is at some point, really a really powerful way to parent is in the back of our head, if we're always thinking, I have to help empower this tiny human to some, at some point, be without me, to live in the world and exist on their own and feel okay about it. So as real young kids, you know, empowering and finding opportunities for that kind of empowerment does a couple things. One, makes it so that once they get there, right, like they'll be ready. Uh, but also what it does is it builds a type of confidence and still a sense of self that really, really is helpful in managing anxiety for kids. Um, I'm going to tell you guys a story about a time my parents stole my opportunity for me <laughs> to have this learning moment. And I think back, I don't even know why it stands out. You ever have that, like, I call them flashbulb moments. You just it's like, man, something must have, like in that movie Inside Out, it's got the core memory in there. Um, I was an anxious kid, just like my son. And uh, my parents were also very anxious. So they did a lot of protecting, right? Like didn't really, you know, wanted to kind of protect me. And if I was uncomfortable, that was uncomfortable for them. I was born, all these things. Um, but I remember them asking me, I was with the babysitter after school and one day they weren't going to be able to, whatever it was, they weren't able to pick me up. So they were like, we're going to need you. I was in kindergarten, really young. We're going to need you to ride the bus. And I'd never ridden the bus before. Like, we're going to need you to ride the bus and the bus driver is going to tell you when to get off. So we're going to need you to do that. And you've never done it, but we need you to do that. And I was tears, tears. I was terrified. I was like, there is no way I can't do this. I've never done. I mean, and I like, 
I'm sure I, I, I gave a very convincing claim as to why this was terrible of them to ask me to do this. Um, and then it was like the whole evening and I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about it. And I remember I was like, like, like I said, like six, I remember getting this thought in my head of me being a football player. And I had all of this padding on me. And I was like, I can be strong. I think, because my parents were like, we're going to need you to do this. We're going to, you're going to do this. And I remember thinking, I can, maybe I can do this. And I went in the kitchen and my dad was already on the phone telling the babysitter it wasn't going to happen. We weren't going to do it. And I was about ready to tell him like, I think I, I think I can do this. Like I was psyched up to do it. He's like, it's okay. So it's fine. And I'm like, what would have happened if they would have let me kind of go with my, you know, like pushed me through it a little bit. It was safe. There are like probably there were probably 15 other kids in my class on the same bus. It wasn't going to be anything crazy. But what, you know, what would have been the value there? I think there probably would have been quite a bit of value. So this is sort of, I think one of the harder things about parenting is that we sort of have to be the judge and jury when it comes to can we, at what level are we, can we have realistic expectations to allow our kids to take risks, even engineering situations where they're able to take risks? even if it causes some anxiety and allowing them to experience, fully experience what it's like to work through those situations. We get to be loving, we get to be supportive and all of that. And we have to, the hard part, kind of hold ourselves back a little bit from kind of running in and wanting to comfort um, in the way of like saving them from maybe a natural consequence or um, doing something for them or allowing them to do something, but then like going back and redoing it, you know, like these kinds of things. It's very, that's the hardest part, I think, is that we're, again, we're just trying to get them ready so that they can be independent, fully functional adults. Um, and the problem very young is that a kid gets the idea in their head that they are not capable of handling stress in any way or certain situations. If they get that idea in their head, that's where anxiety comes in. Now they have a perception that that should be something they're anxious for. So unintentionally, sometimes we can enable that by not allowing them to experience some of these things. So let's go over, I'm going to go through some of the examples here that I think will be kind of helpful. Um, what is empowering and what is enabling? Well, let's look at that a little bit. Um, something that, so let's first go through, let's do the empowering ones. Let's start with those, okay? This is what empowering looks like. Empowering looks like offering kids the opportunity to have a gradual exposure to stuff that um, maybe makes them a little bit nervous, right? Uh, things like for a lot of kids, maybe it's ordering at a restaurant, right? Like something like that, buying something at a store, right? Nothing that's, this is a totally reasonable risk. We're right there. You know, they might perceive it as scary. They're probably going to overestimate what's required of them. Um, but for us, if we can be very calm, you know, we kind of have to fake it till we make it very calm, confident, <laughs> the way that we want them to be, we have to put that out there, right? Even if they're like melting down and, you know, I'm sure my mom was in tears over the whole bus thing. And that didn't, that clearly probably didn't help the situation. But if they can be, if we're communicating to them, I think you got this. I think you can do this. I know you're upset and scared. That's what, when you're brave, you can be upset and scared at the same time and you can still be brave, you know? Um, it can look like offering exposure where we're a teammate 
let's do this together. Come on, let's do this. No problem. Um, one of my favorite things for kids who sometimes have more of a social anxiety um, is to be a teammate. And then this is the best part. <laughs> if we're not afraid to make to make a fool of ourselves, that sort of instills in a kid, right? Like, huh, if she's doing it and it's not, I don't see any consequence happening, maybe, maybe it's okay, right? Like if they can see me modeling being a goofball in a situation that might make them a little bit uncomfortable or whatever it is, you know, whatever the perceived situation is. Um, again, those little things get stored away as information. And the more often that we're sort of exposing them to a gradual safe risk, the more opportunity they have to gain the confidence. So that's the other thing. When So the working together, the gradual exposure, and sometimes even engineering or inviting situations where kids can be in a circumstance that allows them to experience the risk. That is so important. It's hard when kids are start first, start first learning to walk, right? And you're like, they're going to fall. They're going to bite it right on the end of the coffee table. It's going to happen. <laughs> like, see it happening. Um, we can only run in and save them so many times. Eventually, right? And sometimes they do sort of have to bite it to like kind of figure it out. Eventually they, they're going to get it. And then they're going to have this confidence about them, right? Kind of same thing with potty training I'm learning. <laughs> um, same sort of deal. You know, they have this new renewed sense of confidence, which is just so satisfying to see. Um, but again, we, if we save them from that, so even if they're taking a risk and it goes real bad, I'll give some examples. Um, that's part of the value there. Kind of think about all of the, the things that have really um, created who you are today. You know, the things that really challenged you and sometimes were really hard. Um, those are typically sort of defining and growth moments for us. Um, I always say to my clients, I wish that this job and like this whole growth thing was like rainbows and sunshine. And like you come and say you did a great thing. And I say, that's awesome. And you tell me how much you've grown and you're all great. And then, you know, go back your way. That would be awesome. It's, it's unfortunate like that. But it sort of makes the discomfort kind of worthwhile, right? Like we're getting something out of this here, just like working out. Um, and we want to show our kids and, you know, sort of communicate that to them by allowing them to experience risk. This can be anything from within reason risk on a playground. Have you guys ever wondered why playground structures look like as an adult? I'm like, that's that looks very dangerous. <laughs> I think about the thing, like ours were all wooden. I'm like, no wonder I had a bazillion splinters. Like, oh my gosh, the slides are like however many feet in the air and all these things. Those are examples of very important risks, right? Anybody grow up climbing trees and stuff? Anyone ever fall out of one? <laughs> there is beautiful value in being able to have to learn that ability to take the calculated risks. This is how kids learn it, right? And again, none of those things, I mean, maybe they maybe they fall, maybe they, you know, bust up their knee, maybe they get a bee sting, like maybe they experience natural consequences to like learning how to take these risks. But what you find, and like with the playground example, what we find is that kids gain confidence in even in their like their ability to be brave, like doing something even though they're scared, because on a playground, right? It's exciting to go to the top of that slide and Oh my gosh, the adrenaline. Um, so they gain the confidence, but also they get really good at knowing where their limits are, which is really important, right? They, they sort of have to have those experiences though in order to be able to self-regulate the anxiety later. Um, sometimes 
what can happen is if we try to do too much of an intervention with anxiety, sometimes we can sort of like go the opposite way. Too much intervention might communicate to a kid like, wow, this must be really bad and hard to handle because we're having to, you know, whatever it is, you know, go overboard with it. So sometimes what I like to encourage, and this is another example of empowering, is kind of take a sideways approach right? Maybe we are going to kind of like working out, you know, if you go to a trainer and every time they have you run and you just hate running, you know, maybe a tricky thing that they would do is like, oh, well, today now we're going to run, we're going to do stairs, right? It's still working a lot of the same things, but it's something a little different. So I'm not thinking about running anymore. So we're gonna do that with our kids a little bit. A good experiment with that is things like giving them the opportunity to make choices in their own lives about stuff you don't care about. (laughs) So would you rather, should we have peas or carrots as the vegetable for dinner? As long as you don't care, let them make the choice. Um, Things like red shirt or blue shirt. Should we go out the front door today or the back door? Um, Do you want to get it on this side of the car or do you want to be crazy and get it from this side of the car? Do you want to, right? Which way should we take home? We can either go left or right here. What do you think? Right? Giving them the experience of you asking them for their thoughts, their opinions, and right, they gain confidence. Wow, someone really cares what I think, all those things. It's a sideways way to help empower a kid and get them used to making their own choices. Um, there's a really, in Love and Logic, which is like the parenting um, kind of approach that I really love. They talk a lot about how the dumber a parent appears, <laughs> the smarter kids get. And that couldn't be more true in this situation. They use an example of like, um, a kid asking like, well, when does the park close? And the parents says, I don't know. I don't know. How would you find out? I don't know. Kids, when they want something, they get real smart, right? Like, well, oh, I went online and I found out that it, it opens at this time and this, you know, like, but had we swooped in, they, you know, they wouldn't have had that skill. So we want to empower by us kind of like, you know, appearing as if, especially if they're things that we know that they can handle, that's like even better. If we know they can do it, even if they do the worst job ever, if we know they can, let them do it. Things like cleaning rooms, making beds, those kind of empowering things, let them handle it. I let my kids feed the dog. It's a mess every time, but the dog eats and he kind of cleans up the mess that they make with the feeding. But it's important. Again, it's it's all of these things that we're doing with our own actions and behaviors that help empower, which in turn helps minimize anxiety. Because again, kids are learning their own abilities and, and their ability naturally to self-regulate. Sometimes we can get in situations where, okay, I know my kid has to be uncomfortable, but they're really uncomfortable. Totally gonna happen. And it is not the situation where we have to just sit back and be like, oh, just feel that sleep out. Sometimes it is, but sometimes we can swoop in and be like, you know what might make this a little easier? I have an idea. And then maybe we come in with a coping tool, right? Maybe we say, you know what? This is a situation where I know for me, when I get this overwhelmed, like I just need to like, I just need like a cool washcloth and I put it on my head and I just take some deep breaths. Like then maybe we come in with some coping skills just to make things a little more bearable. It's kind of like if you've got to go to the dentist, right? I don't know how many kids like the dentist, but I did not like the dentist. (laughs) And it wasn't that it was unbearable, right? Like I had to do it. It wasn't anything like that. It was going to be uncomfortable though, probably. So the best thing that I had ever learned was I need something to, to kind of distract me while I'm there. So I have like a fidget ring that I used to use, or I had something in my hands, even just having 
Um, and a, a way to sort of make the discomfort a little more manageable can be an important intervention um, and a way to empower kids. Some things, this is a hard part, some things that might feel initially like empowering, but are actually enabling. We've mentioned some of these. Stepping in when it is something that a kiddo could handle, right? Even if it's a scary situation. Every kid that I've ever known might have at least marginal amounts of anxiety their first day of school, right? Totally gonna happen. But if we stepped in and we like said, well, you don't have to go. Or, you know what, we're gonna make special arrangements so that you don't have to deal with this discomfort. We're gonna do it this way instead. What we end up doing is we end up communicating this idea that you can't handle it, so I gotta change it because you can't handle it, which is like danger zone. Um, doing things for them or giving them the solutions. If at all, you can possibly give them the opportunity to give their own solutions, even if it would be so much easier to give them the answer, let them figure it out. They might have the wrong answer, but that's really valuable. Um, not allowing them to have the opportunity to take, take risks. I mean, don't let them run and try. Um, you know, the first time that they can play outside while we're watching, you know, from a window. They're there, we're here, we feel comfortable, safe situation, but they're getting a little more independence, right? Um, it's like when, as kids get a little bit older and they have that first opportunity where they can, for an hour, stay home alone. Those things are important. Those things with lots of confidence, you know? And so all along the lifespan, when they're real young, we can give those opportunities to them. Um, even for my three-year-old daughter, right? We can engineer ones for her where, um, she's potty training. So she's in charge of getting the pull-ups when she, you know, when she had an accident or whatever, like that's, that's her job. She knows where to go to get it. We don't have to be there with her. She can handle it. Um, so again, we can kind of come up with, with ones along the way. Another one might be, um, not allowing a child to experience discomfort. It's hard, man, that one's a hard one, um, but important. So important especially when, um, like I had a kiddo today in the office who was just tore up so sad about like a social interaction with a friend that did not go well. Um, and she kind of knew it was because she, she sort of like didn't handle it the best, but she was just so upset. And it's while hard, those situations are important because that's sort of how kids sort of learn to navigate a social dynamic. Um, but let's use the ant example with Zane. He was like, I'm not using that bathroom. I'm not using that bathroom. I'm not using that bathroom. Um, it was important for him to use that bathroom. And now that's going to be the only bathroom that you use because you can handle this, my friend. Because, um, of course, in, in his world, he would just avoid it and then pretend that it's mine, which wouldn't work long term. Um, and then the last one is protecting from natural consequences because we can't control every aspect of life. Um, what really builds confidence too is kids being able to see like evidence in their life that they can get through stuff. And we can even reflect that back like, hey, that was really hard. I could tell you were really, that was rough, man. Um, I, I noticed though, you really got through that. You really did. Um, and giving them some positive, you know, feedback about that, about their own ability to manage and, and cope through. Because again, while we can do a lot, like we've talked about in past sessions with um, coping skill interventions, giving ways to practice when things are going okay, and coping kits, which are wonderful for teaching some of the basic skills, it's not until kids are sort of left with the opportunity to kind of learn their own self-regulation that the real growth starts to happen. 
it's again, I've said that about this a bunch tonight. It's the hardest thing that I have to do with parents is when I have to say, you know, um, like if it's school avoidance, um, that's a common one that I might deal with. The worst, the, the, what they want me to say is, you know what, let's take a break for a while. Let's try to do some online learning. This is like before COVID, but um, let's do, do some online learning instead. And then we can work on the skills and then they can go back to school. And I, I, it just does not what I end up saying. What I end up saying is if we do that, the anxiety will get worse and it'll make it harder to go back. So giving the experiences and the support through the discomfort, we can do all of that. But the, but when we start avoiding it, we inadvertently tell the brain of that kid, can't handle this, man. It doesn't matter what is coming out of my mouth. If I'm doing those other things, um, it's sending the wrong, kind of the wrong information there. So the biggest things, kind of in summary, before we do some questions, the biggest things that I think we can kind of keep in mind is that while anxiety is a normal experience, there are some points where it can be really disabling for kids, you know, like really disabling. And again, we're in, we're in a situation where stress is very high and developmentally kids are maybe only here. And so we're asking them, we're needing them to kind of like, you know, come up to this part. And so as a parent, our little sideways ways of helping hurry to kind of boost some of those muscles to bridge that gap is where we have the biggest impact. You know, we said the sideways ways of empowerment, but then also, you know, sort of allowing some of the discomfort. This is a hard time. There is no, I wish, man, I wish there was a magic way to, to, um, you know, take away some of this discomfort, um, how stressful it is for parents and for kids. You know, we have to choose our battles. There are some anxiety battles that we might not have the emotional bandwidth to deal with. And we have to come off as, you know, like confident and positive. And some, if we don't have that, it's a different battle on a different day. <laughs> it's okay. We're not going to do this. It's not going to be a 10 for 10 situation. And kids don't need it to be a 10 for 10 situation. They need just enough of those experiences, you know, to grow that part of themselves. So um, checking with ourselves. I will also say when it's a really, when a really stressful situation is happening, it makes sense. A healthy person will feel stressed and anxious. So everything that's happening now, it makes sense. Health, I'm worried way more about the people that are like, I'm fine. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't really match up with like, <laughs> um, so know that, know that, that we're, this is like the wild, wild west of parenting, I think <laughs> here, um, doing the very best we can, even just, I mean, little things you guys are here tonight, just kind of showing up on a beautiful night, but it's so warm out, um, to get maybe like one or two things, even if just one or two things fixed, I think, you know, that is just a testament to, you know, really, um, doing the things that you can as a parent, empower yourselves, which in turn will empower our kids. So with that, I'd love to take some questions or anything that maybe um, yeah, that I talked about that maybe would be helpful to hear more about or specific questions or just general questions. They can be anxiety related, but they can be mental health kiddo in general too. Um, so you said about anxiety, it's normal to let a kid have that anxiety and let them be empowered by it. What are some like, coping skills for when they have it? Yes. So a lot of the, and again, sometimes we can kind of do this age appropriate. The best time to teach a coping skill, and I'll run through a couple of those really powerful ones, is when the anxiety is not happening, right? So like kind of like practicing for the big game. And some of those things that we can do 
when the anxiety isn't, you know, we can kind of know for a lot of our kids, like when the anxiety is going to peak, don't try to do an intervention then let's do it when it's cool. But that's when things like the things that we use to manage anxiety, you know, that's when for young kids, learning about the way that their breathing works, you know, we can do a lot of mindfulness with kids with very simple tools, you know, with, whether it's um, just our, our breath, right, taking a moment and just feeling on our belly and our chest, the way that our breath rises and falls, this is a good one to do at night. Um, when we do it, when things are calm, that's where learning happens, right? That's when we really kind of get um, sort of that longevity there. Um, I'll even do, and a lot of this stuff is probably in the coping kit that Lisa is going to give away, but um, bubbles are a great, I usually have them up here, I don't, um, are a great tool to help kids understand where the belly breathing happens, right? If they're blowing bubbles, right? it's kind of a perfect I call it the belly breath. Um, and again, it strengthens that the diaphragm for the diaphragmatic breathing that helps bring down blood pressure. So that's another really powerful one. Um, kids love fidgets. I don't know any kids that don't love fidgets, yeah, but they actually can have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my kids want fidgets all the time and I don't understand besides a distraction <laughs> in, like in, cla in class. Um, if, I guess kids it's a like pretty tool, but what... I mean, my yeah. son anxiety for baseball, going to baseball. My daughter thinks she needs one just to be in class with it because I think she has attention problems. But that's not, I don't know. I've never heard about fidgets. So explain yes. behind them. The fidgets. So we actually, uh, my company, Fusefire, we actually have a whole, um, it, it hasn't, we haven't done a pre-release yet, but a whole um, coping kit built around fidgets because kids love them, but an inner, a therapeutic intervention utilizing fidgets in a, in a different way. Obviously they're fun and kids are like obsessed with them, but they actually can have some therapeutic value if we use them right. A lot of fidgets are tactile, right? I'm thinking of like the monkey noodles and stuff. Um, we can use those as a really powerful tool in therapy to help teach sensory grounding techniques. So when we, we actually do this work with um, kiddos or even adults um, with chronic illnesses, or um, especially with young kids who are going through chemotherapy and, and really life-threatening diagnoses, is we do grounding techniques and exercises with them to help put them back in their body, which really can help with um, mindfulness and staying in the present moment, which is very, it's, it, though that and anxiety can't exist very easily at the same time. So it's a skill that when we work that in our brain, it can be really powerful. So not just playing with the fidget, but maybe, and again, like a really powerful coping kit utilizes every sense of the body. Even Maybe if it's a tactile one, maybe then that's one that we use with our eyes closed in a dimly lit room. And all we're doing is focusing on the feeling like if it's the monkey noodle or if it's slime, right? Maybe we're feeling every single part of it. We can actually, you guys can do this and do an experiment. You don't have to, but you can. <laughs> Put your hands so that just the pads of your fingers are touching, right? Okay. This is like our built-in fidget. Now slowly rub your the pads of your fingers together. Focus really close. And sometimes it's even more helpful to close your eyes. You can almost feel every ridge of your fingerprint, right? Can you kind of feel it, the, the texture of that? You can sort of feel if like my palms are a little warm. I can feel that. Right. And can you do it slower? Maybe you bring the, your hands down just a little lower. Right. When we're thinking about every single part, 
that is the power, right? It's, it's sort of a, again, it's grounding. It's, there's nothing else that exists here. If all I'm doing is being consumed with this experience, right? I'm using my body's ability to understand senses and sensory input. And I'm using that to help my brain and my blood pressure come down. It's really, I mean, it's a biologic game too, that we're playing with anxiety. Um, This is how like neurobiofeedback that had been really popular where you sort of learn to to manage your heart rate and things um, with anxiety, how that's so powerful. Because again, different things work for different people. With the fidgets, again, we can use that as a sensory tool also. If we practice it enough, not just playing with it, but actually using it, that's what it can be powerful. Other ones, um, I use acupressure rings. They're these, um, it's, it's kind of like a tight kind of coil that goes around your finger and you can like roll it up and down. It's a sensory one, but also can be folk. So this one's great too for grounding, especially if we're noticing anxiety starting to rise because it can put us a little bit back more in our body. And we can start doing things that help us to focus. If it's something we have to focus in on, our brain has a hard time doing a gazillion things at once. So if we're giving it a task, anxiety is always looking for a job. So if we give it a task, rather than picking cuticles and like all the things, <laughs> I'm guilty of that one. Um, we give our brain something else to do and to focus on. That's sort of like the whole vibe of like what is so powerful about fidgets. But there are other things that we can use too. Um, I use ice cubes or um, the the ice cubes that are plastic that you freeze and you can reuse them over and over. I don't even know what they're called. You guys know what they're um, So I'll freeze those, keep them handy. That is, this was actually my, the mentor at my clinic. She told me this one. She's like, this is an effective way to trick your neurological system into stopping a panic attack. And you hold two ice cubes in your hand. It's very, very uncomfortable because <laughs> it's cold. Um, but what it's going to do, it's going to trick sort of your brain and your body and into, into switching out of kind of the, the acceleration that happens um, when your body starts to panic. So it's, it's a very immediate grounding experience. So I keep those handy too. Again, it's, it's a sensory experience. Some kids, their, their scent, their sense of scent is very, or sense of smell is very powerful. And that can be a really great way of grounding, right? Maybe we have, um, I usually keep in our coping kits, um, a set of like the smelly markers and a pad of paper because you draw on the paper and then smell it. And like my kids that smell the marker, but again, like, can you guess which one this is without looking? right? I'm going to like give my brain some input here. And again, all of that focusing is giving the brain another job to do. So if the fidget can be used in a way that can do that or provide some sort of sensory stimulation in that way can be helpful. In school, I can see both sides of it. I have a lot of kids. So if I'm working with a kiddo who um, has a, an ADD brain, an ADHD brain, that's just how they're wired because they're taking in all of the information and not prioritizing, that can be really overwhelming. It's why a lot of um, kids who are neurotypical in that way um, can, not only they're focusing on us, but they're thinking about what they had for breakfast and what they're going to do later and what's the car doing out there. And oh my gosh, what's this? And my foot is itchy and right. A lot of different stimulation. (laughs) So what a fidget can do while they're trying to listen or do something else is it sort of keeps that part of the brain busy so they can zone in. So it depends on the kid for that one. And again, if it's distracting, it's like a no-go. <laughs> but things like, um, I don't know, we're wearing a hoodie today, but I've got one kiddo that in the inside of her hoodie, 
um, we put, um, it's not necessarily a fidget, it's a texture, but it's like a kind of like what you like those rubbery feeling makeup remover thing. I don't know, like a, I don't even know what it's called or that you would like um, clean makeup brushes with. That's what I'm thinking. Um, inside and it's quiet. No one knows. It's very discreet. We do that in the bottom of chairs sometimes too. Um, yeah. So again, depends on the kid and depends on what is that exactly are we using it for and can we use it and practice it when everything's cool so that again, we're getting the actual benefit of what the tool is. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> Kids usually get pretty excited about that one when I'm like, oh, I love fidgets. But <laughs> a little caveat in there. I will add, um, in case anybody would find this helpful, um, we have had, so um, Lisa and Kim, you guys know in the past, we've had the Worry Warrior worksheets that we've handed out. I have them all online now. Um, available for download for free on the website. And then also I've included videos for each one that explain how to use it. Uh, but these are just different exercises and things we can do with our, with, like for our kiddos, with ourselves, a lot of therapy um, tools and things that I use that I think could be helpful too to folks. Thank you, Nikki. Yeah. You know, listening to you today was like really um, reinforcing a big decision I made for my son. Um, who is only six. And I don't know if you experienced this, Nikki, but like being in the mental health field, I can help, you know, anybody else. But when it comes to my own child, it's like all my skills disappear. Um, but listening to you made me feel like I'm making the right decision. He's only six. I'm sending him to camp for the first time for 10 days. He will probably be the youngest camper there and he's an only child. So, um, it will be very hard for him, but I'm doing it. So he has exposure to things that he wouldn't have here or that I'm very inclined to step in and help him with because he has my undivided attention because it's just him. So thank mm -hmm. you because now I'm feeling more confident in my decision to send him, even though he's telling me right now that he's not going, but he is. Um, and I know it's going to give him the tools that he needs um, to be a better him. So thank you. That's like such a great example too, of like how hard that will be as a mama, but knowing, I mean, you know, what's funny too, kids do way, you, ever, you guys ever notice this? They do way better when we're not here. <laughs> like exactly. way more confidence. My kids potty trained in daycare when I was not a part of it, like they take us out of it they can do incredible things. If we sometimes do provide opportunities where we can't be there, that's when I think we really see what they're capable of. So yeah, right. totally like, with you on that. Kim. See that. Like I want him to experience that. Yes. Yes. On his own. He's going to come back with some confidence, like, you know, maybe hard, but walk a little taller. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Thank everybody so much for your participation. Thank you everyone. Thanks, everyone.